Hi, I'm Sharon Volman, Editorial Director of ISE. Welcome to Behind the Solutions Podcast. Thanks for joining us as we talk with the leaders and doers behind the telecom networks. Learn why our guests are passionate about creating innovative solutions and sometimes surprised at what they learn about themselves and others along the way. Brian, thank you so much for joining us on Behind the Solutions podcast. It is a true pleasure to talk with you again. Yeah, glad to be here, Sharon. During our time together, I really hope to explore the human element of what it takes to make the fixed and the mobile networks do all their magic. Let's first start off with the physical network evolution, and then we'll move to the very, very important human network behind all that evolution. So to give your listeners just a few little factoids about the network of Horizon, your regional coverage offers more than 6,500 route miles of optical fiber across southern and eastern Ohio, the Columbus State and Indianapolis metropolitan markets, and part of West Virginia and Pennsylvania. Is that correct? That's correct. Great. So you got a lot going on, and I'm wondering how are things going with it? You know, things have been very busy at Horizon. We as a business, we actually have evolved over our 128 years into three distinct, you could almost say three distinct companies, uh, but we treat it as businesses within the corporate umbrella. And so we have our we have our traditional telephone company that, you know, has kind of been the genesis of the business. And we've been building fiber in there the last couple of years. And so now we're really excited to have over half of our telephone customers now have access to fiber. So we're well beyond 50%. Uh, of a conversion from a you know traditional telephone company to an exciting fiber-rich uh, operation there. Our commercial enterprise business continues to grow. It always amazes me that you know I, I long thought that we would be finished with the days of building fiber for cell phone uh, towers and front hall and all those things. I don't know that we'll ever be finished with that. Uh, and then the last couple of years, we had a third business unit, which is focused fiber to the home. Uh, we like to say fiber to the premises just because it's more than home. It's all business and uh, residential. And that has been uh, a, a big piece of what I've been focused on. And, and it's been a very exciting for the business as a whole. Now that you've heard a little bit from Brian, let me tell you some interesting things about his background. Brian Riley is Senior Vice President of FTTP at Horizon, where he has built a new business unit from the ground up, focused on rapidly expanding high reliability 10 gig symmetrical fiber broadband to communities throughout the Midwest. Brian previously served in other key executive roles at Horizon, as well as Frontier Communications and Verizon throughout the United States. He has led operations, engineering, construction, technology, marketing, product development, and has a successful track record of building organizations and businesses with significant experience on the M&A and investor fronts. Outside of work, Brian has a wife and two middle school-aged daughters who all love to travel as a family as much as possible. Now, let's get back to our chat with Brian. Obviously, there are milestones within your FTTP initiative. So share a few of the obstacles that you face as you try to meet those milestones. You know, so the way we approached it back in 2021, we launched our first test market. And we did this intentionally because we weren't really sure what we would learn or what we would fail at. And we didn't want to fail at a large scale. We kind of want to fail at a small scale. And so we did our first market, launched it. And honestly, the biggest obstacle I had at that point 
was people. Can we find the people to build a business? Can we hire the people? Where do these people come from? What skill sets do they have? That was my biggest concern at that point. It's not quite gone, but I feel like we've done a lot of things to overcome some of those concerns. And then in 2022, uh, we did about 15,000 passing. So about twice of a test market, you know, we went into kind of a real deployment mode. And the the big obstacle I had there was material. I don't know if you recall, but back in uh, what felt like early 2022, fiber optic cabling was like the pandemic's toilet paper. You just, everybody was hoarding it and you couldn't get it. And, you know, I was thinking, okay, well, we're going to build all this stuff with what material? It's all about scale for us now. So we're, we're trying to get 70,000 passings completed this year. It's just a continual scale kind of ramp of, but now the obstacle that it's kind of jumping up at us is the make ready process, the joint use process and utility locates. Both of those are pieces of what we all need that are supremely stressed. They are being inundated with activity. And so that is a new challenge. It's the next you know, thing to solve from our perspective. Now, thankfully, unlike a lot of people who I interview, you are saying the talent challenges are less. Well, I, I don't know that they're less. I think we've found success. We've tried to build a good reputation, which I think is first and foremost. In the industry, this is a small space. Almost everybody knows each other or knows somebody who knows somebody kind of thing. And you you really have to kind of take a people first philosophy. If it's a horrible place to work, people are going to know about it, right? Yep. And so that's been huge. But then the other thing we've done is we've partnered a lot with the state. And, you know, the state of Ohio has actually been really uh, supportive with us. They have a workforce development group that we've started. Um, we did a couple pilot programs. So one was a fiber splicing school. Uh, and we just completed our first launch of a broadband installer school. And so what they've done is is they've they've worked with industry partners like us to come up with, you know, we've had people teach the classes and write the curriculum. And they're training these kids in vocational schools to, first of all, there's these opportunities. Right. And second of all, since we're participating at kind of a close level, it's given us a really good line of sight to, you know, maybe kind of cherry pick the best ones. Exactly. <laughs> you know, it's like, hey, by the way, your instructor works here. Would you right. like a job? You know. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and that's fantastic. And and I am going to jump. I said that we were going to start with the physical network, but because the talent question came up, um, I'm going to jump to the the talent changes is, as you just discussed from tech all the way to leadership. Yeah. And that's something you and I haven't dived into, but you have a message here. And, and I would love to hear you share your thoughts about attracting, training, maintaining talent, obviously in the tech area, but all the way up through leadership. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, I always find this amazing that in the last 15 years, we've had been flowed, but we haven't grown the industry more or less, but the activity level has grown in the industry. So I think we all realize we're doing more, we're working harder, right? We've also gotten more efficient, but the thing that really, I don't wanna say scares me, but as I look out at what we're doing, this industry is supposed to grow, it depends on who you listen to. And <laughs> right. Predictions are always the wet thumb in the air, but it's like 80 to 100% in the next 10 years. We haven't grown the talent pool in the industry in 15 years. So how are we going to support this going forward? Not to mention, you know, any of us that have, have been in this industry for, you know, I, I'm almost at 20 years now, so I'm getting into that a little you bit more two phase, but <laughs> yes, we're going to go with that. <laughs> But, but seriously, if you look at the experts out there and, and all the people that are engaged at a high level, 
most of the folks that you work with are at or close to retirement level in the next five or 10 years. And that's going to create a huge talent you might think at the time when we're growing the fastest as an industry. And so I think there's going to be this talent vacuum and it kind of goes back to the, you know, how do you solve that gap? We started those school partnership things I talked about with the state of Ohio, who's been really, I would say kind of forward thinking on this, but it, it almost is an awareness issue. You know, when I came into this industry, I didn't know thought about it. I literally, you know, it was when I came out of college, there wasn't a lot of success in jobs. And I was on a mission to get, I mean, I wasn't moving in my, with my parents. My father made that clear. So I had to find a job, right? And so I did a bazillion interviews. I ended up with three offers coming out of college. And one of them was in the telecom space. And I only took it because I knew nothing about it. Literally, I, I had, I'd never heard of this. I heard of the company, um, but I didn't know. I'm like, okay, this sounds like something. And, but there was no education. I wasn't aware of that as a career, literally until they interviewed me. And I thought, okay, that's kind of different. You know, so educating at the collegiate level, at the high school, the vocational level, getting the awareness out there. You know, one of the things that I'm kind of the, the most excited about the schools, because it's great to say you, you've trained fiber splicers and you've trained installation technicians, but, you know, the, the state has led an effort that we've all spent a lot of time on doing career maps, showing, yes, you're being an installation technician. This is the job. But where does that go? And what is the earnings potential? What's the responsibility potential over a 30, 40 year career? And it shows these kids where that can take them. And if they have goals, you know, not everybody wants to work hands, everybody wants to deal with people. But if you want to do something and, and you want to show that, or you want to at least see what it could lead to in the future, I think it's so impactful for a kid to sit there and say, if I apply myself here, could I be the CEO? Sure. Literally, that is that is one path. I've seen it done. You know, we've all seen it happen. So, And that is so important to the young professionals, obviously. Uh, vocational uh, youth, it, it, they're like, where am I going? College students, same question, where am I going? Young professionals too, where am I going? Yes. And as we made um, some contacts with uh, young professionals across the industry and asked them the question, what do broadband providers need to do to keep you? Okay, so they've got you, but how are they going to keep you more than the 18 months the average says you're going to leave in? And career mapping was one of them. So good job. It's such an exciting industry. And it's it, the industry does not stay the same. And I don't think it ever will. Right. I think if we can show them what that could look like, I think that could go so far. Exactly. And you wrote me this segue, didn't you? <laughs> <laughs> what type of AI is Horizon currently using or planning to use in terms of the network itself? Yeah, well, I, I'm actually AI right now, whether you can- You are, or, you look amazing. I'm not, I'm not real, <laughs> no, but but in all seriousness, you it's know, we, we haven't used AI, it is that good. <laughs> we haven't used AI much yet. Um, I, I would say other than copy for marketing, things like that, we'll, we'll leverage a little bit of AI, just kind of speed the process up, but I'm talking barely touching the surface. I'm not sure where it's going to go. Uh, and I think a lot of us in the industry are kind of waiting to see what this develops into. We, we've all talked about smart networks and, right. um, you know, those types of things for, geez, 10, 15 years. I'm really kind of curious on how AI plays a role in managing the network. Not that I want to create 
the Terminator scenario, <laughs> but if it can kind of become self-aware to an extent yes. that it recognizes problems, uh, maybe before they become problems. And if this would be the ideal, take mitigating action of some kind, uh, choose a route or something like that. I think that's an interesting way to look at it. And then there's still a lot of busy work. I mean, it's 2023 and we talk about a tech industry, but underneath any tech industry is a lot of mundane, busy work. I mean, you have to file permits and all kinds of little ticky tack stuff like that. I would have to believe that AI could play a huge role in maybe the local municipality still has their permit process, but the generation and the completion of that stuff that you don't need to have a person sitting there grinding through those activities. Maybe that's my fingers crossed. Right, exactly. Because you, you know? guys, all of you are struggling with this whole big old blockade that you can't get through, no matter how fast you sure. want to go. So I hear you on that right. one. Uh, one of the things that AI can't do, and we're going back and forth between the human piece of this and the physical piece of this, <laughs> such a cool lobbying discussion between the two. AI doesn't have emotional intelligence, right? So uh, we're going to talk about emotional intelligence and leadership. And for our listeners, about how many team members do you lead and, and mentor and grow right now? Right now in our fiber to the prem division, 70 employees, uh, I've got five uh, different direct reports representing different functions of the business. And, you know, and that's quite honestly, one of the smallest kind of scopes of responsibility that I've had in my career. Uh, because it's a new, growing, kind of a startup mentality. Fun. And that's that's always been interesting for me because it's it's not for everybody. Everybody has obstacles. Every company has obstacles. But I really find that the things that I've learned about myself is I will not have all the answers. And especially when you get into a smaller group setting like this, where I'm talking an organization of 70 individuals, I really can't, you know, hide in the shadow. I mean, you've got to leverage the people. One of the things that I think I learned, maybe surprised me, but I've also learned early in my career is that most often the right answer to a problem, it's not my answer. It's somebody within the organization. It may not even be somebody within my direct reporting sphere, but you've got to leverage those people. You've got to, you've got to be, I guess, comfortable having the conversations and, and being, um, a, I would say, approachable enough where right. if somebody has a really smart idea that they can bring that forward, it's probably more often than not that that's the case. And, you know, um, yeah, I think the foundation for that, you know, and this is easy for me, but uh, to hire people smarter than you, you know, right. you, you never want to be the smartest person in the room um, because I think that's a really scary kind of mountain to be on, you know? Yes, I agree with you. And that's what this whole podcast is about, is about what we've learned about ourselves and how other people have yeah. impacted us and how they can learn from us. You know, it's it's a symbiotic relationship. What have you learned about others? I mean, you say you can't be the smartest guy in the room. Yes. So what is the most potent learnings you've gained from some of your teams or the teams that you don't supervise? Yeah, I think the the biggest thing that I've learned or or maybe had to learn, sometimes the hard way, is just because somebody seems to maybe not understand the issue or is approaching it, I'll say it 180 degrees from where you think it should be approached, doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong or they don't understand it. There just may be two completely different approaches. And I've had to learn to 
uh, to shut up, I guess, and listen more and, and let that facilitate kind of to the end of, of what the, the idea is before saying, well, wait, no, no, don't do that. Cause I think, you know, me specifically, and I think a lot of people sometimes will listen to respond yeah. and not listen to hear, you know, I, I remember doing this early in my career where I would have somebody talk and I didn't realize it at the time, but thinking back, they would be talking and I'm thinking about my response as they're halfway through what they're saying. Yeah. So I, I can be smart, right? I can, you know, ah, I got you here. Well, that is not really a great way to do that. And I had to break myself of that bad habit to let the person completely express whatever they got going on. I can digest it. May, and, and honestly, the other piece is be vulnerable enough to say, you don't understand. I'm confused. You know, what do you mean? Explain that, you know, Again, these we're talking about smart people at every level of an organization. Just because you've got some title doesn't mean you're the smartest or have all the answers. And you know, I, I, it's difficult for some with you know some type of an advanced title to maybe say you, you've got me confused or I don't understand that or what are you talking about? When in reality, that's probably more often than not that's the case, and that's okay. You know, for real. Agreed. Okay. Wow, we are moving along. I'm going to ask a question about sleeplessness in terms of, I'm sure you sleep just fine. I wake up like eight times in the middle of the night and I've talked to a few of my industry colleagues and they may say that as well. So do you awake with thoughts about the network or the next steps or how Horizon is going to make it all work? I'm sure you don't, but what wakes you up at night or keeps you up at night? Yeah, I, you know, I hate to say it, but the older I get, I feel like my sleeping patterns become worse and worse and worse. I don't know what to do about that. I'll let you know if I find a solution. There's probably two different things that keep me up at night. One is safety. You know, I, I always worry when we have people in field conditions, whether they're technicians uh, doing installations or operating networks that require maintenance in the middle of the night, you know, and keep in mind, you know, Horizon, we operate some networks that are very rural and are in areas that others didn't build fiber intentionally. That's why we're there. And I've been out there. Uh, I've seen it. You know, I don't often see it, but I know, of, you know, our splicers are responding to an outage in three o'clock in the morning in some very rural area. And I just think, man, I that's a scary scenario. And, you know, while, while everything we do, we think is very serious and very pressure packed. Right. I've been in an environment where somebody unfortunately lost their life and oh. that's not worth it. It's not worth what we do to, to have people get sloppy or careless or, you know, I need to move faster and do this. At the end of the day, that's the one thing that worries me that would keep me up at night is somebody going to be out there doing something stupid or unsafe that's going to lead to an accident. Other than that, I struggle personally not having control when things are uncertain. You know, what I find is I have, I seem to do well when things bad or good, I can handle emergencies, but when there's dynamics out of your control that you can't deal with. And for example, you know, we, we, we've had some banking challenges recently that everybody's seen in the news. We've seen interest rates climbing up and those are things I, I can't control. Uh, if I could, uh, I would tell you guys to call me and I would you know fix all your problems, but since I can't. That's a challenge. When you're developing investment business cases to, to deploy residential or even commercial fiber, those all play a part in it. Mm -hmm. And that is a concerning thing for me where I sit there and think, okay, are we going to run a risk of 
investors not having as much appetite with interest rates climbing up and the cost of borrowing going up? Is that going to be an issue that's going to kind of thwart all of the progress and honestly, what we need as an industry and, you know, especially here in the United States to deploy fiber to so many people who don't have it today. That's, that's a concerning thing because at the end of the day, we can talk about the use cases for fiber and is critical and all these things. But if you don't have somebody willing to financially back that, it doesn't go anywhere. Oh my gosh, that is so darn true. And uh, as you said, what we need so much in the U.S. to fuel talent for the future is the ability to deliver fiber with significant symmetrical speed. So not everyone has to live in a suburb. You know, they can take right. care of their family in rural areas. They can live where they want and do the things to make ends meet, but have the advantage of fiber. Okay. So talk to me about stress relief. We're going to kind of wind this down. I'm sure you're, you're saying ohm as we're winding this down and ready to go do some yoga, but we need to release stress. Yeah. You know, I'm, uh, I'm a leave me alone kind of person. You know, I, I don't want people to gather around and, and figure out how to help me. If I'm stressed out, give me time. You know, my wife sometimes knows that, but you know, if I'm stressed out, I just need time to decompress yes. and process things and kind of get myself, you know, I guess back to a, a, a lower stress environment. So yeah, that's, that's how I like to do it. But, you know, I, I like to travel and that doesn't sound like a stress-free thing for a lot of no, people. I know not. it doesn't, it, it sounds completely... <laughs> you know, bizarre to think of it like that. But I find so much joy traveling, you know, the United States and the world, and especially with my family, going somewhere new. And so while it seems like traveling's a headache, I'm in a, like my Zen place when I'm out there exploring and like airplanes, or cars, trains and automobiles or camping or what kind of traveling? So both love traveling internationally, love going to new cultures and things like that. But my wife and I have a goal. We bought an RV, geez, six years ago, let's say. And we have this mission to get our girls to all 48 contiguous states before they graduate high school. And I think we're up to 38-ish, oh 40 or so. So we're well into achieving this goal. Uh, and that, yeah, and that's with our camper that we go everywhere. And the rule is you got to stay the night in the state. So that's it. how we it just drive through. That doesn't count. Right. But yeah, we're uh, big camping adventures and just get on an airplane, go to Europe, go somewhere else. You know, both. of That is fantastic. Your, your girls will never forget that. Well, to wrap up, you've done a lot of great things and I've watched your rise in the horizon and obviously there's more to come with all of the fiber and I find it so intriguing that you're now doing rings for data centers and I mean big big projects for important things yeah. so I know there's more coming your way but if there's a chapter two in Brian's life what's next what do you, what do you want to be when you grow up well, I want to be a top gun pilot <laughs> is it too late no, there's nothing too late. Okay. <laughs> I'll call the Navy and see what their age requirements are and see if they're open to it. You know, that's that's a question that I've often wrestled with. And the, the way that I think about that is, and this is going to sound a little bit strange, but I want to be something I'm not. 
And I don't mean that by not being happy or not being satisfied, but where I find joy professionally is in doing something that I'm uncomfortable or something that I haven't done before. So doing what I'm doing today, I won't do that for the next 10 years. I want to do something different, something somehow in some way, you know, and so what's my future hold? I don't know. I mean, new areas that, that get me uncomfortable. Uh, I mean, I, I think at the end of the day, you know, a role as a, as a CEO would probably bring me the most joy, not because you want to be the CEO. I don't, I don't care about that, but touching all aspects of the business, expanding beyond, you know, beyond the outside plant, beyond the network, beyond the marketing, you know, getting into all of the aspects of the business from a, from a strategic standpoint. I think that would be ideal for me or, you know, boardroom advisory. I've, I've done that with a few companies where you can do some boardroom advising. And I think that's fascinating to kind of get under the hood of, of different businesses. So I guess if Top Gun is out of, out of the picture, we'll uh, we'll go with something like that. I have every belief that you'll achieve either one of those or both. You won't sleep after that, but at least, you know, you will <laughs> no. have met your goals. Okay, last <laughs> word of advice for those young people or people who are going through chapter two of their lives. What do you recommend as a leader who wants to grow up and kind of be like you? Well, I, you know, first of all, I don't know that they want to grow up and be like me. Uh, I could point to a number of things that I won't get into on this podcast <laughs> that I would say you could do that differently. But in general, you know, I, I think being in tune with what you're good at is really important. Not all of us have the same set of skills, but we all have a different, unique ability to do certain things. And recognizing that and playing to your strengths, I, you know, I wanted to be a seventh grade basketball player. I couldn't do it. I still love basketball, but I had to realize that's not for you, man. And so I think, you know, while everybody will say, I want to do this, maybe, is that really in line with what your skill set and, and maybe your passions drive you to? You know, I've, I've known people, I think we've all known people in our lives who have gone career paths or done things because of a, a paycheck or some other influence. And maybe it wasn't the right fit, or maybe they weren't really passionate or happy about it. And I think that's a very big piece of what I would say to somebody looking to get into start their career today is be in tune with what drives you and what your skill set at least points to. You know, and the other thing is be willing to be wrong. You know, it's it's okay to not be right all the time. Thanks for spending time with us today. Learn about the interesting leaders and doers we'll be interviewing in the future by visiting iscmag.com and clicking on podcast. Until next time, stay passionate about learning and be good to your teams.